0: Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, December 15th. We begin with a look at the announcement of stricter penalties for those who violate Calgary's mask bylaw. We get the details from Ward 6 counselor Jeff Davison.
1: Next, we discuss the national rollout of the Pfizer COVID 19 vaccine and specifically the safety of the inoculation. We speak with Mercedes Stevenson, Global
0: News Ottawa bureau chief and host of the West Block. It's a surprising stat amidst the stress of the pandemic. We connect with the Distress Centre for details on the decreased number of suicides in the city year over year and lower by almost 20% compared to the five-year average.
1: And finally, breaking up is hard to do, especially during this tumultuous time of restrictions and isolation. We get some advice from a woman who's written the book on breakups, author Amy Chan.
0: 709 on the Morning News. Calgarians will be seeing a larger penalty for violating the city's mask bylaw as we move forward with more on the council's decision to uh, increase the fines. We're joined by Ward 6 Councillor Jeff Davison. Good morning to you, Jeff. Good morning, guys. This is something that I I think a lot of Calgarians were perhaps even asking for, those people who wear masks and have seen people without masks. uh, They want to get everybody on the same page. So I I think that this is, you know, personally, and from my opinion, a step in the right direction. Tell us about the new fine structure and how it's going to work out.
2: Yeah, I mean, really much the same. Just the uh, the fees themselves are, are going up. I mean, uh, I would agree with you, Andrew. I mean, the, the thing we hear a lot of is the frustration of watching anti-maskers gather and rally. Uh, it's a frustrating situation for everyone, in particular when we are really trying to manage that delicate balance of the economy and people's health. And when you have people going into downtown areas and harassing downtown shops, intentionally trying to cause uh disruption and and chaos um the fee structure was one of the things the city of calgary just had to look at doing and the question for me is really are those fines large enough Mm -hmm. this is no longer about education this is you know this is about you know actually looking at making people do the right thing
1: so enforcing this with dollar value what how 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 much have have things increased what can you do break it down the numbers for us
2: I mean, the, the, you'll recall when we started down the path of this back in March, uh, one of the things I moved forward with was saying, you know, let's, let's drop the fee structure. Let's say, you know, this is about education. You know, we're not going to police our way out of this. We're really trying to get people to uh, change their behavior and come along with us on this. And so we moved it to $50 uh, for a First offense. That's now moving to, I believe, $150. Um, but the question is, again, at this point, should that be more? Um, You know, would would we see better compliance if police and and bylaw were actually able to write $500 tickets, for
0: instance? Yeah, well, we're hearing, you know, even if you have repeat offenses, your uh, ticket could reach $300. Along with this was the extension of the mask bylaw. And uh, Councillor Davidson, I had to look twice because I thought, okay, well, yeah, of course, till the end of December. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. But the extension is now till the end of December 2021. Tell us about that decision.
2: Yeah, that's really just about providing some efficiencies. You know, um, every every month, administration has to bring back reports to council to say, here's what's happened and here's why we think we should continue on with the mask bylaw. This is about just saying we understand the world we're in. We understand this bylaw is temporary, uh, but we don't need those reports every month. And so, you know... Every little bit of dollar value out there right now counts. And those reports obviously take up someone's time and there's a cost associated with it. It's just something that we don't need. And so looking at extending this sort of for the next year while we sort of play the game with how fast will vaccinations come, how fast will we hit the masses with those vaccinations, uh, this just gives us some flexibility going forward. But it is, you know, the most important thing to remember about a temporary bylaw is that at any time, uh, council uh, with a majority can overturn
1: that bylaw good to remember for sure let's switch gears a little bit uh, councillor we want to talk to you about the uh, motion you put forward about providing incentive to residential development in the core we know obviously uh, actually i don't know exactly the stat these days it's been certainly high of of empty buildings in our downtown so what are you uh, hoping to achieve with this
2: yeah i mean this is really all part of our economic strategy and, and you know we have so many people and so many teams focused on downtown recovery. You know, we've got talent acquisition strategies strategies, and economic strategy. You know, we're obviously investing in major infrastructure projects in the core. This is really about thinking, what, what's the piece that's missing to us? And the piece that is missing is, is that livability piece. And so if we want to move away from being a very corporate downtown and really activate our downtown 24-7, we've got to start getting reasons for people to live down there and this is just the first step in trying to say calgary's out there we're competing for business differently and frankly we do business better here in calgary and so bring the investment dollars here
0: well i guess the lead up you know we're during a pandemic but now's the time to talk about it these things take time i remember when i lived in inglewood uh back in uh, maybe 2002 uh, the issue was there was no grocery store, and lo and behold, mm-hmm. was it just a few months ago that they opened the, the, uh, the big superstore mm-hmm. <laughs> in the New East Village. So you got to start these talks now, don't you?
2: Yeah, you really do. I mean, you know, when we talk about sort of diversification of the economy and doing that safely and recovery of the downtown, it, it's really important for people to remember this is going to take a decade to do. This is not going to be something that will happen overnight. It is not going to be some sort of miracle that all of a sudden, you know, we put 140,000 people back to work downtown, which is about the number we could fit. Um, this is going to take time. It's going to take some some consistency. It's going to take some longevity. Uh, But we can get there. But we've got to start that plan now, exactly as you said.
1: We've already seen that happen with a couple of sort of office buildings that have been converted to residential. What do you what do you envision or hope that it might look like in the future if you if you could see the perfect downtown core for Calgary? I mean, yes, obviously, it'd be everybody back to work, but that may not be a reality.
2: Well, I mean, the office to residential conversion is just one piece. I think that's the part we want to ask the federal government to help with, because we would really need a group like CMHC to step in and say, okay, we can do all 10 buildings that you've identified Calgary for conversion. Because right now, uh, most developers would tell you, you know, if you want me to build their city of Calgary, you knock the building down, and I'll put up a brand new one nice and shiny for you. But I'm not interested in the conversion. It costs too much, and the product isn't going to be very good. Um, Ultimately, where this comes from is go back to Vancouver in the very early 90s. They had effectively the same problem as Calgary. After 5 p.m., your downtown core shuts down until the next working day. And so we looked at models to say, well, what did they do back in the 90s to start drawing a te- a attractive investment de- to the downtown? Uh, and residential was the way they did it. And so you look at where downtown Vancouver is now and think about where they were you know, 30 years ago. Uh, it took them eight to 10 years to get there, but they got there quickly, and, and that's really what we want to be able to do.
0: Well, and, you know, you could do your know, other side of the coin, say, well, you know, you can't compare the two cities because Calgary is so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I think at this point, a start point would be to look at the other success stories, and, you know, we have to do whatever we can at this point.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I think, you know, much like we did with the Rivers District development, you know, we look to other jurisdictions to, to grab some learnings. I mean, Pittsburgh had a very similar problem as well. I mean, they had... Uh, a ton of downtown office buildings that they wanted to convert, but they couldn't find anybody to do it. And so they ended up packaging 25 buildings together and going after federal support, and and that's what they did to get people living back in the mm. core as well. Um, it, it's initiatives like this that you've got to start as a first step, but it's important to remember they're not the only step. And, and this is just a nice piece of addition to, to the work we're already doing in the downtown recovery.
1: Perfect. Thanks so much for joining us, Jeff. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks very much, guys. That is Ward 6 Councillor Jeff Davison. The COVID-19 vaccine has arrived in Canada, but what's in it? And is it safe? Joining us is Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson. Hi, Mercedes. Hi, Sue and Andrew. How are you? Good. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. You know, you talked about it this weekend. The vaccine is here now. Still some questions, though. We we saw a couple uh, of people who got the vaccine in the UK, for example, had a severe allergic reaction. Well, you on the West Block sat down with Cole Pino, president of Pfizer Canada Public Services. What did he have to say when you talked about the safety issue?
3: He said that Pfizer is confident that this is a safe vaccine, that it has passed all Health Canada regulations to be used. Uh, They have done a clinical trial, Pfizer did. That information was provided on a rolling basis to Health Canada. But like any vaccine, there are some people who will have an allergic reaction to it. Um, And I I remember my mom telling me when I was a kid that I had an allergic reaction to the whooping cough vaccine, Mm. which is is commonly given. I've not had that with other vaccines. So there can be different situations with different vaccine ingredients. They have released the list of what's in the vaccine. If you have a known allergy to anything in the vaccine, they're saying do not get the vaccine. Uh, But they believe that overall it's safe. There have not been a large number of allergic reactions. They're also not concerned about the uh, a couple of reports out of the United States on Bell's palsy following the vaccine. They say that uh, you know, they're they're looking into everything, but at this point, um, it has been determined safe by the health regulator in Canada, and Pfizer Canada believes it's safe. For those who are worried, and, and a lot of folks are saying, look, the pharmaceutical companies are able to put these shots out, and they have no financial responsibility if something happens to people afterwards, the government of Canada is actually launching its own program to help compensate people if some people do receive a vaccine injury.
0: Mercedes, I would assume you mentioned that Pfizer has released the ingredients of this vaccine. It would be a similar process, although it is the largest vaccine rollout in Canadian history. A similar process as to when I take my kids even for the flu shot. Uh, The person administering the shot will be reading every single ingredient and lay out potential side effects uh, to those people receiving it, I would think.
3: Um, You know, I can't speak to exactly what the the person Mm -hmm. administering it will do, but I would expect it will be a similar process. Certainly, um, you can find out the ingredients if you want to know. They are on the Internet. It's publicly available information. So you can go on there as well and and have a look if you have any concerns. Obviously, call your health care provider, call your doctor, talk to them about it, uh, because they'll know what's in that vaccine, and they'll know your personal health history or your Mm -hmm. children's personal health history and any concerns. And also keep in mind, there's different vaccines. Uh, We're expecting the Moderna vaccine to be approved relatively soon, too. Um, So not all vaccines are the same. And Pfizer says they're still working on the formula with this one, too. I mean, this uh, has been turned around more quickly than any vaccine program in history. So they are trying to refine it. And some of the things that they're trying to refine are things like how it's stored. Because as you know, the Pfizer vaccine has to be stored uh, between minus 70 and minus 80 degrees, which makes it very hard to distribute in the way that, for example, the the flu vaccine is distributed. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are still kind of... uh, Trying to improve that formula, but wanted to get this first round out so that people could
1: start being vaccinated. And with all safety measures and protocols in place, obviously, or Health Canada would not have approved it. Mm-hmm. So that's w- yeah, exactly. Health
3: Canada has to see the data. Like this, it doesn't change if they don't yeah. see data that they think is sufficient. Um, they will not approve the emergency authorization use, which they have in this particular case. Um, and it was also unusual. The reason why it normally takes Health Canada longer to approve even if you had a normal-length clinical trial, is that they get all the data at the end. In this case, they changed the way that they were doing it. So they were receiving the data after each round of the clinical trial and evaluating it on an ongoing basis versus digging through the whole file at
1: the end of it. Mm -hmm, Which helped shorten that process, right, of why it got, you know, approved so quickly.
3: Exactly. I can tell you pharmaceutical companies are saying that they they would like Health Canada to work like that on an ongoing basis. Some health regulators do. So there's faster drug approvals when they come through because they're already familiar with the data instead of starting at square one.
0: The shipments from Pfizer, uh, again, landing on Canadian soil late on Sunday. But you also spoke with Procurement Minister Anita Anand on whether or if there will be domestic production of a vaccine. What did you hear?
3: So this is one of the big concerns we heard early on from the government is that they were saying we may be later down the list than others because we didn't have domestic vaccine um, capability. It didn't really make sense because we saw the UK getting it and they don't have domestic vaccine capability. So the government came under a lot of pressure about why they were saying that, that we weren't going to get it when other countries that weren't manufacturing could be ahead of us. Uh, If Belgium got it first, that would be one thing because they manufacture the vaccine there, but Mm -hmm. the UK doesn't. Um, It also raised the question, and we heard this very early on in the pandemic as well with PPE, about are there certain things that we would want to be able to make in Canada, uh, which might be more expensive if we make them here, but would ensure we have access to them in cases of global emergencies and not risk being cut off if the supply chain cuts off, or if it's being made by a country like China where we have strained relations and there's potentially a risk. So the government had talked about investing in vaccine capability here in Canada, as well as in PPE, pardon me, PPE production, mm-hmm. uh, so that they would not have to rely on the United States or China or another country like the U.S. was trying to do, undercutting us on runways, trying to purchase stuff. So we talked about that on the show, and when I talked to Cole Pino, who is the Uh, President of Pfizer Canada, he said there are a lot of government policies that are preventing pharmaceutical companies from investing major research capabilities here. Uh, The government disputes that. They say that they are investing in research. Colpino says that there are uh, policies that are going to come into place in January that will deter pharmaceutical companies even more from investing in sort of the next breakthrough here. The government has said that they believe that the global supply chain makes it cheaper. Um, That's a little bit of a different tune than they have when they say they are investing in domestic capability. So I think there's a really interesting question going forward there about what Canada wants to rely Mm -hmm. on countries abroad for and and how much we want to invest here. And it might be a choice between cheaper drugs, which can drive away pharmaceutical innovation. And do you want to be the next breakthrough country? I don't know if we could do
1: both. Uh, It'd be interesting to see that. Yeah, that's one very interesting because you don't know what you need until you know that you now need it. Right. So that'll be very interesting moving forward. Hey, before we let you go want to touch that uh, Minister Anand also addressed the topic of why Albertans specifically in the oil and gas sector have yet to see any promised financial support amid this pandemic. What was said about that?
3: Yeah, I really didn't, uh, I didn't get an answer, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, we tried to ask a couple of times um, she did say, you know, that the, the government has supported people who've lost their jobs generally through the pandemic, which is true. I mean, it's been the largest direct support program to Canadians in history. Um, as for oil and gas, she sort of said that it was mentioned in the throne speech, which it was very vaguely. Um, there's, as you know, been no sectoral support for oil and gas um, other than the abandoned wells program. They also released the big um, environment programs that. They want to implement and there may be some details in there honestly i think we're going to have to wait until the budget in the spring um, to have a sense of whether they're going to put any more money into that directly or if they will try to keep supporting people in alberta right to their pocketbook but not necessarily through the industry
0: mercedes thank you so much for your time this morning thank you that is mercedes stevenson global news ottawa bureau chief and host of the west block 6.42
1: now and while a rise in mental health issues has certainly been at the forefront during this pandemic, some good news. Suicide rates in Alberta are actually down this year. With more on what these numbers mean, we're breaking it down with Diane Konahowski, who is the Director of Fund Developments and Communications at the Calgary Distress Centre. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You know, a tough one to talk about, but it's something that we do need to discuss. And though any number is too high, what does the decrease in these numbers in in suicide rates in Alberta mean? Well, my first
4: thought when I heard was that, you know, one, it's a very positive uh, statistic. And... Two, I think it means that uh, more people are probably reaching out for support um, one One thing that we are finding through this pandemic is that um it's showing us that there are um we are sort of really low on finding sort of mental health supports across Canada right
0: mm-hmm.
4: but for those um distress centers and crisis centers across Canada and we do have a ni- uh, a national uh Canada Suicide Prevention Service. It's a line that we also um, answer um, for um, for Canada. Um, you know, it's just it's it's nice to know that the number is getting out there. People must be reaching out for support, and we do know that our statistics show that our volunteers and staff, who are the first responders for anybody calling in, chatting or texting us, we know that our our stats are telling us that we are having fewer interventions. And what that means is that means that we're not contacting 911 as often. So that tells us that our volunteers and staff are doing um, a really really good job of de-escalating the crisis, which mm-hmm. is what they're trained to do.
0: And you know, we could we could say obviously we could obviously uh, use as many resources as possible when it comes to mental health for Canadians and Albertans and you know, drilling down to Calgarians, uh, but the, could this also, you know, uh, speak to the fact that the message is getting out there that the resources that we have in place are available, and and perhaps maybe the internet and and social media make access and information as to how to get these resources uh, are more ready readily available these days. <laughs> Well,
4: you know that we're, we're bombarded by information. You know, we can sort of get it everywhere, can't we, Andrew? So, um, yeah, I mean, we've worked really hard at uh, Distress Centre over the years to uh, get the awareness out there that we exist because we're, we're Calgary's only 24-7 support, crisis support, mental that. health support. Yeah, I mean, when, when, you know, everyone else closes their doors, we, we are very much very supportive of the, all the agencies within the social sector. And you can phone, you know, most of them over after hours and, and they'll tell you to uh, if you're in crisis or you need any support, you know, press 1 for distress center or call 403-266-HELP for, you know, distress center. So we don't know how many hundreds of agencies and, and individual doctors and psychologists and support that are out there um recommend um for them to contact distress center because um we're here 24 7 and anybody can call us uh day or night and we don't define crisis so we can we support anything that uh, anyone wants to call or chat or text us about they have any issue
1: and alberta leads the country in stress and you know issues at this point in time don't they i mean and so you you folks must really be kept busy 24 7.
4: Well, we are, yeah. I mean, um, we, yeah, we've worked really hard to get the awareness piece out. And anybody, actually, we we support people all over Canada. We get a lot of calls from Ontario. We get a lot of calls from northern Alberta. Um, We get, we've saved lives um, for people in Australia and Iran and Europe. And anybody can get on our website and see that, you know, that we're here for them. And so, even though our mandate is Calgary and area, you know, we 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 save lives every day and, and we do it, you know, from all over Canada.
0: com, Diane. Uh, but I want to, you know, just uh, ask you this quick question before I let you go. If people are, you know, a little afraid to, to, to reach out, they might think, oh, I don't have money. Um, you know, uh, there might be a stigma. What do you say to those people?
4: Well, we're free. All of our services are free. So, um, you know, they can call... You can even call the 2-1-1 line and, um, if you're in crisis or you just, if you just need someone to talk to. You know, we get calls from, from any, anyone, someone grieving the loss of their pet, uh, students that are really frustrated and, and depressed because um, they've got a big exam. Coming up, You know, um, we don't define crisis. So it can be anything, you know, bullying. Um, we answer the bullying helpline. We answer the family um, violence line for the province as well. We, we answer a lot of lines. So for people who, you know, are, are afraid to sort of reach out maybe by phone, um, they can chat and, um, and young people can text us. Because not everyone is comfortable chatting like you and I are chatting now, right? and, um, so they feel they're a little bit more uh anonymous if they can reach out uh via chat, so we have our phone line twenty four seven and we have daily chat and text for youth um starting at um noon every day and going right into sort of one thirty in the morning so twenty four uh actually twenty four seven for the phone lines and um seven days a week, three hundred and sixty five days of the year, so we encourage people to reach out they can. They can call or chat and text us about anything where we're here. And it's really important because we know that, um, you know, listening does save lives. We save lives every day. And it's important to to know that this service exists for anyone.
1: We appreciate you joining us this morning. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. You have a great day. Thank you. You too. That is Diane Jones-Konohowski, Director of Fund Development Communications at the Calgary Distress Centre, 24-7 at 403-266-HELP.
0: 909 on the morning news. How do you handle a breakup during a pandemic? Amy Chan, the author of Breakup Boot Camp, the science of rewiring your heart, joins us now with the additional struggles people are facing during the COVID pandemic. Good morning to you, Amy. Good morning. Well, a breakup during the pandemic, different for many reasons. And here's the real one here. This is the real kicker when I read this. One being the possibility of having to remain living with your Mm. now ex-partner due to public health orders and, of course, financial restraints. That's got to be a big one, Amy.
5: Yeah, people are really suffering right now. The pandemic has been really the great accelerator of relationships. Either it's helped couples get stronger or if there's been any cracks in the foundation, it's really
1: kind of torn couples apart. It's so very true. And you hear about those stories from both sides, though. I think that's one of the things, you know, on social media, everybody makes it look like life is just grand and nobody's having these problems. And I think that can almost make it worse, can't it? You just There's nobody out there to make you go, OK, I'm not in this alone. Yeah, I believe there's extra pressure these days with social media and like you just
5: mentioned, seeing everyone's highlight reels of their perfect vacations and, and relationships. And I think it sets up this expectation that love is perfect and it's cheery all the time and it needs happiness and that your partner is here to make you happy. But I think these expectations really set us up for disappointment because relationships just, that's not the reality.
0: One of the things that you uh, you uh, put out there is when you're considering that breakup and asking yourself the question, if I was to make the same decision right now, would I choose this person? Does that hold during the pandemic as well? A question like that?
5: Yeah, I think. A lot of people, I witness stay stuck in relationships. Sometimes toxic relationships, and and what I call a dead end relationship, knowing that uh, the relationship isn't going to go further. They are unhappy, and it's it's not just a cycle. It's not just a blip in the relationship. It's an ongoing pattern. And often because of something called sunk cost fallacy, which is human beings' tendency to invest more into whatever we've already invested in. They they stay in relationships because they've already invested time, money, years. Instead of focusing on the present value or future value, they stay stuck because of sunk cost fallacy. So a great way to kind of just ask yourself the honest question of, if I was to make that same decision right now and choose this person, would I choose this person? And that's a
1: great starting point for you to think about your future. Okay, so let's talk about some of the other tips uh, from breakup boot camps. What else can we look at? What else can we think about when it comes to you know, being in a difficult situation right now?
5: it's really important if you can after a breakup to detox from your ex and I always tell people a minimum of 60 days and the reason is because when you're with someone you have neural pathways that have been wired together if you continuously text them um, see them have breakfast with them you're not allowing those neural pathways to prune away now of course if you are still living with the person or you co-parent it's going to be more difficult and what you want to do in that case is you want to keep your interactions to a minimum and also as emotionally neutral as possible that means that when you get great news you don't contact your ex when you um are upset and you want to you know call them and blame them you don't contact your ex because both situations are giving you uh an emotional charge you're still getting a dose of these chemicals and endorphins whether that interaction is positive or negative.
0: Amy, you're talking, you know, in terms of once you have and doing the detox, let's talk about the actual breakup itself and the best setting, the best words, you know, we've seen in the movies, you know, it's it's not you, it's me. <laughs> and we've heard, you know, in 2020 and in the past handful of years, people have been doing it by text. What is the best way to to, to make it have that impact, get those words out and move on?
5: That's a great question. And I think that this uh, how to communicate um, uh, a heavy topic like this, I call it a high-risk conversation, is, is valuable to learn how to communicate, whether you're in a breakup or single or dating or married. And I like using this uh, approach of you start off the conversation with a, a state of connection. So what does this mean? There's, you can start a conversation off with either boxing gloves or a handshake. Boxing gloves is when you use accusatory language, such as, you've been a terrible partner all these years. You never
4: do this. You should whereas have. A
5: hand- <laughs> yes, you should have bought me more flowers. Um, whereas coming into a conversation with a handshake means you come in, in in a state of connection. And so this also means that the timing of your conversation might also be important. You might not bring this up you know at midnight when you're about to fall asleep you choose a time when maybe they're not as stressed as work and it's not right in the middle of their work day so you choose the 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 timing to be um, conducive for both of you and and then when you have the conversation you don't focus on what they did wrong you focus on the facts of the situation that means not adding interpretations or assumptions and then you talk about how you feel and that and then you state this is what i need this is what i want and that could mean that hey, I need I, I, I need to be out of this relationship. Or it might be, hey, I need some space. Whatever it is, it's about communicating your needs and your boundaries in a healthy way and, and making sure that you're not accusing or turning it into the negative.
0: Amy, your book is called Breakup Boot Camp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart. So I'm wondering, you know, how this book came to be. Did you have a rough ride? Did you have some stories? Or is this more of a service to your friends who've had <laughs> some tough breakups?
5: Oh, yeah, I've had a rough, hot ride. Um, I was in a relationship, and I thought I was going to marry the person. And, you know, my whole life was set out. I thought, to me, back then I was living the dream. And the dream was date, get married, have kids, and be a stay-at-home wife. And I was on track. And that relationship fell apart. And I put so much identity in him and us that when the relationship fell apart, I fell apart. And I tried everything I could to heal. And it was a really, really hard, hard time for me. I had depression, panic attacks. I had thoughts of suicide. And slowly but surely, I was able to heal. And it took time. And I realized that there wasn't something for other people to go to after a breakup or divorce. And so I created the world's first breakup boot camp, where you come out into nature. And for four days, there's 13 different experts from psychologists to behavioral scientists, um, to different educators that help people not only process the pain from the past, but shift their subconscious patterns. So they don't keep repeating the same emotional experience just with different partners
1: well thank you so much I'm glad you came out the other side and you've got the experience now to share with others so thanks so much for joining us Amy thanks for having me that is Amy Chan author of the breakup boot camp the science of rewiring your heart you can go online find out more about it renew breakup